Welcome to the What's Your Story podcast. Once again, we thank you for joining us. And we ask that you please, those listening on or watching on YouTube, you hit the click the subscribe button. Um, and I am joined here once again with my co-host, my co-hostess with the mostest, Miss Jumi Ola. How are you today, Miss Jumi? Oh, never been better. Never. You're good every week. Hi, you know. Are, are you lying to me? <laughs> you're so positive. I'm trying. You know, even in, in the midst of storm, we just have to keep going, that's right? A, that's a great that's right. attitude you have there. <laughs> right. um, Jumi is... The hottest worker, one of the hottest workers I know. She's always working, always grinding. So, um, you know, yes, I have to. Beauty of wearing multiple hats. Yes, I have to give you a round of applause for that. I'll take it. All right, take what you can get, huh? Well, Jumi, we have a guest today. I'm looking forward to her. Her name is Miss Jennifer Blum. How are you, Jennifer? I'm great. She is the co the founder, not the co-founder. You did it all yourself, right? I did right? that all myself. All by your own soul. You are the founder and executive director of the Help Save Foundation. That's correct. That's awesome. I'm going to give you a round of applause for that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Help Save Foundation. Hallelujah. So could you just give us a brief synopsis of what the Help Save Foundation is? The Help Save Foundation is a nonprofit, and we help victims, families of domestic violence, get to safety mm-hmm. from start to finish. All right. Excellent. We so, have a lot of resources. Uh-huh. Um, we give all the help that we can possibly give. And if we don't have what someone needs, then we outsource to re- other resources. All right. So you have like a network you're involved with. Oh, and absolutely. You can, and you can kind of outsource for different people, different yep. areas. Excellent. Um, so as our viewers and listeners will soon find out, there is a reason why you started the Help Save Foundation um, and, uh, you know, our goal in this podcast is to, um, educate, right? Educate, um, raise awareness, raise awareness, raise awareness. right? And, and, and it goes with the podcast name, what's your story? We're going to learn from Jennifer's story and that's going to transform into, into how she, um, uh, became the founder of the Help Save Foundation. So, um, we, where did you, you grew up in Massachusetts? I did. I grew up in raised. a little tiny town. Well, okay. not too tiny, but pretty town, uh-huh. uh, in Fairhaven. Fairhaven, Mass. Okay. Yeah. And you grew up, you went to school there. Went um, to school there. Um, high school, I did go, I went to a different town school. Mm-hmm. Um, both my parents are together, brought up in a normal fa- normal family, as mm-hmm. most would say. Right, right. Because those are all the questions I was going to ask you. So you're, most you're, people that are <laughs> the questions that people How ask was me. your family life? Yes, what was your family life like? Did you have a mom and dad? Yes, both yes, in the yes. same house. I was never abused. Yeah, I, yeah, was, yeah. I was barely even reprimanded because mm-hmm. I wasn't a bad or a, a child that needed recommendation. Mm-hmm. So right. it's... It's interesting how I got involved the way I did. Right, you know? right. And, and um, so you went to high school. Um, did you attend college? I did. Oh. I attended. I went to BCC um, for a while, and then I ended up going to aesthetic school to be an esthetician. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm a financial planner or financial <laughs> advisor. Go figure, huh? Along with, <laughs> along with what I do at the foundation. So, right. yeah. Nice. So how was your um as far as your 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 dating and did you date in high school college was yeah, it um, normal relationships pretty normal. never was in an abusive relationship that I would consider abusive in any way mm-hmm. mentally emotionally mm-hmm. um, physically never had any 
nothing. Yeah. Right. No. So so you had this this normal everyday this life. Normal everyday two life. Two parents growing <laughs> up in a household. Yeah. Holly even got reprimanded because you were such a good child. Right. Um, school, high school, college, dating, just everything was good. Yeah, and right. then. Uh, and then, then came 1999. Ni- wow. Oh, that's like the Prince song, 1999. Yeah. 1999. Wow. Okay. I was working in a lawyer's office, um, and he, he walked in, and Ooh, yeah. this was my abuser, who mm-hmm. I ended up spending 13 years with. Mm-hmm. Um, normal relationship at first for about the first year. Normal in the sense that I was never hit. Mm-hmm. Not normal in the sense that now... In high insight, when you have the opportunity to look back at it, uh, within the first year, I had no friends. I was moved from my family. I mm. went from living a short distance from my family to living a long distance from my family. Um, and most of my communication with friends was gone. Now, what, did he work with you, or was he a client? No, he was just he was a client. He was a client. Yeah. Okay. See, I mean, that's from what I've heard is is that's how it starts, right? The the mental abuse first, isolation. They want to they want to isolate you. You want to get you on an island on your own, yep. so you have nobody to turn to, nobody to talk to. Now, what were some of the excuses that he used as far as how did he get you away from your family or, or your friends, or how did he create distance between that? Was there particular things he did? So we lived in a neighborhood where there are very close houses. And after the physical abuse had started, the neighbors were seeing it. They were hearing it from their homes. They were hearing it. Um, And it got to a point where it was becoming too well known of what was happening with inside my house. Mm. So he had to do something at that point. So what he did was he bought us a house. We bought a house that was quite far away. I didn't realize it at the time. Mm-hmm. Because I was enamored by this big, beautiful house that we were going to move right. into and yada, yada, yada. But I was now 40 minutes from my parents and my family and my mm-hmm. friends yeah. instead of 10 minutes. So there was definitely a method there. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people wanted to travel out there. Right. It it doesn't seem like a far distance. But yeah. for everyone, it seemed like, you know, it was so far out that no one wanted yeah. to come. So it was easier for him to continue the abuse Mm. without anyone's eyes on him or hearing or just being aware of what was going on. So what was your first, um, the first offense, and how did you react? The first offense was, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was actually Las Vegas. Um, it was the year 2000. So, you know, every everyone was doing something crazy for that. So we yeah. ended up going to Vegas with his mom um, and... I had gone, he was downstairs and I was upstairs in the hotel and I had gone downstairs and I found him and we went upstairs and he was so angry that I went downstairs that from the time I got into the elevator until the time I was in the room, it was horrific. I was literally kicked like a ball all the way down the hallway to the hotel room. Um, When I was let in the hotel room, I was abused so much more to the point Mm. where instead of anyone helping we had to postpone the flight because they couldn't possibly take me on an airplane looking the way i did and this was pretty much out of as far as the physical violence that was was the first time i didn't know what to expect i didn't even know what was happening to Mm -hmm. me it was 
the scariest moment because I truly had never, I had never been in a situation like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I knew he was a mad person. I knew he was an angry person. It had just never been taken out on me mm. until that point. And from that point on, once we got back, it just never stopped. Mm. It wasn't a daily, but it was often enough that it was continuous. Now, looking back, do you, do you, um, how about like as far as red flags? I mean, before oh, the fi- before of the physical, tons. like as, as, yeah. just the alienation part and just the, so I would be in situations where I would have a friend over, you'd come over to my house and, and we'd have a normal conversation and we'd be friends and then you would leave and he'd ask me questions. And then if there was something that was wrong about that friend, the next time they came over, he would haul into them so badly that they would walk out of the house crying and never talk to me again. Mm. I lost so many friends that way. So many very, very close, close friends that I've never, friendships I've never been able to get back because, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of damage done and I understand it. And I wish that people had a better understanding of where I was Mm. in the sense that there was only so much that I could do. But I learned to never, never speak to him about my friends' lives. Because anytime I ever did, it would be thrown back at them mm. in order to get them away from me. Mm. Now, um, as far as so, so you bought a year before he laid hands on you, roughly. About a year, a year. Yeah. yeah. Now, as far as as far, did you ever before that? Did you ever think of leaving him? Um, as far as just the, the the verbal abuse, the mental abuse, the you know the control. Was it in your mindset to leave him, or was it what were you telling yourself to stay? Or how so that's it, not I, how it really works. Like yeah. the manipulating part is more of they're there all the time. They they pretend like they want to be with you all the time. Mm. So as those things are happening, you feel very wanted. You feel very loved. You feel like, oh, my gosh, here's this person. They want to spend so much time with me. And I never lacked this prior to him. It wasn't like I needed that or I yearned for that. It was just I was the center of attention. They were always, like, glorious gifts given at all Mm. times. Like, he really made sure that he sucked me in before any of the, well, I can't say any of the abuse started because really it was all happening. I just had no idea. Right. So red flags, like when I talk to young women and when I talk, talk to my regular women that come to me all the time, like their flags are so obvious and so are mine. They, they're the same flags. Right. It repeatedly happens over and over again. The same, It's the same idea for each person who's an mm. abuser. There isn't that much change right. from one abuser to the next. And that's what I've seen. It's the same kind of games. It's the same, time yeah, same yeah. kind of characteristics. It's it's interesting. Right. Totally different people all around the world, you know. But mm. at the same time, when you really hone into it, a lot of women that come to me have the same story that I have. It's just a different person. And it happened right. at a different time or it happened a different way. Mm. So in the manipulation part, it's a... It's almost like it's a learned trait, but it's not. Right. So did you felt like you were codependent on on Later on, I did. Mm -hmm. Yes. Later on, I was definitely codependent because I was not allowed to work. Um, When I was allowed to work, I was only allowed to work for his mom, which is why I ended up going to school to be an esthetician Mm. because his mom owned um, a facial salon. So if I was going to work, it had to be for her. So I went to school for aesthetics, and that's where that grabbed me. Um, Financially dependent came a little bit later when I wasn't able to work anymore. And, Mm. you know, I met too many friends at work. 
Too many people wanted to talk to me. Too many people wanted mm. to know who I was. I wasn't allowed to do things, so therefore friendships ended very quickly. Mm. So he took me out of that atmosphere. And now I was only working for him. Okay. So he I was able to keep an eye on me at all times. Mm-hmm. He knew where I was. Now he, so, he I'm sorry, go ahead. So manipulation and then codependency Absolutely. then led to abuse, and it just kept building and building and building, and then it becomes a trap. It does become a trap, and you you can't get out if you want to get out. Mm. And then you have the fear on top of that. Right. Some of the things that have happened to me, I'm really lucky to be alive today. I, I truly am, and so are my children. And so trying to escape, like there's one instance where he was literally in Florida, mm-hmm. Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I was here, and a woman had called the house and had just said to me that they were dating and yada, 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 and, When he called that night, I said that I was leaving. The next morning, he had driven all night. It wasn't like first thing the next morning, but by late morning, he knocked on his own door to allow me to open the door to like, I I got a beating for that one too. Mm. So there, you know, when someone goes to extents like Mm -hmm. driving from that far, To you, like I theoretically, it, at now I would have had all my stuff packed mm. and had just left, but I had no idea you this guy was going to drive that. home right. and and catch me like mid packing. But mm. so from that point on, I kind of knew that I wasn't going anywhere. Mm. There were a couple of other times where uh, my I'm very close to my family. My parents are everything to me. Um, he knew that, which is why he took me further away. But. There was one time where I was leaving the house and he put me in the truck and literally until a block before my mother's house repeatedly said that he, we were going to kill my parents and I was going to watch and I would never leave again. And I was literally absolutely hysterical and we got to a block from my parents' house and that's where he turned around. Were we really going to do that? Who knows? You don't I'll, know. I'll never know. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is that was the level of fear that mm-hmm. he was able to put out there that there was, it wasn't happening. There was no more thoughts. And his sister, actually, who you've met, Jumi, um, she was very involved with our lives and knowing everything that was going on. And there were so many instances where we had to get out and she would come and get us, and she would keep us safe, and she would hide our car and make sure he couldn't get to us. So there were times we could leave, but it was never for good. Yeah. We always had to go back. And there's a lot of women that don't have that, that saving, no. haven, you know. No. And that's what we do. That's exactly on. what right. we do. Absolutely. Yep. Now, as, as, you know, as a man, because I, I'm coming from a different, you know, I guess chain of thought, train of thought, and I always try to understand that because I do know a lot of women who've been through that. Maybe not to the extent you have, maybe a little less, maybe you know. But um, it might be a one-time thing. It might be a constant thing, and you know they're open because you know you build relationships and they tell you. But there's so many women like we we spoke before that gonna keep it to themselves. But I try to like understand the mindset, like you know you said, like you know there was a lot of red flags, but he masked he masked them, so they weren't blaring to you right. right they were kind of like normal i'm being loved i got gifts or i would give blah blah it's maybe something doesn't seem right but it's you know it's not bad do you find like with other women is it kind of like the same thing or do, do you find women kind of just ignore the red flag and, and just 
think it's things are going to get better, things are going to change. How do, what, are you, what are you seeing as far as that? Yes, to all of that, yeah. really. Um, I, I see more women like myself mm-hmm. that ignore it, yeah. that don't. But I wasn't educated. Mm-hmm. Again, I came you from never two really, that. like my parents didn't yell, they didn't scream, they didn't hit each other. They didn't, I didn't come from violence. So I never understood right. violence. I had never been around it. So for me, and I had never been around like that kind of manipulation. Mm-hmm. So being involved in it, you don't necessarily see all those red flags mm-hmm. at all. Um, on top of that, they do such a great job of manipulating that even if you're seeing those red flags or even if you see something that's wrong, you tend to feel as though it's not as bad as you think it is, mm-hmm. that it could be worse or other people have it worse. Mm-hmm. And are you overreacting? Right. Oh, yeah. well, I'm sure there's a lot of gaslighting as yes. far so as much gaslighting. gaslighting as far as everything's your fault. Everything is your you fault. Know? Yes, and then you absolutely. stop believing it, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, know? you try your best to... <laughs> Be on your best behavior. Yeah. Talk right, about walking right. on eggshells. Egg that shells. was an everyday right. affair. Yeah. Like the moment he walked in the door for work was, mm. oh my God, like let's just try to make it through this night. Like that's, right. and it happens so often. Right. And it usually starts with the mental mentality. They kind of, right? They, they break you down. Break you down mentally until yep. you're weak and you're vulnerable and then you become codependent, right? Yep. And then from there on, what's the next step? is to get physical when you're just that low. Um, And it takes a broken person to actually be able to break other people to get them to that level. That's true. So hurt people hurt people, right? Exactly. Hurt people hurt people. So what do you feel that a lot of women go through? How do they, why do they always come back? It's very difficult to leave. Once you're gone, I didn't understand this. My mom actually put it in perspective for me like a couple months ago. We were sitting down and talking, and she said something that I didn't even realize. But for the for I would say the first you know six months that we were gone, we stayed gone, but you're so used to chaos mm. that no longer having chaos is weird. Yeah, it's right. normalcy to right. you. Yes, the chaos. So yeah. my mom said to me literally just recently that she always remembers like me crying in the like we live downstairs my sons and I and she would say I would hear you crying I would hear you crying I would hear you crying no one understood why I was crying I was free right free but I didn't understand it this was a whole new normal that I hadn't been part of for 13 years Mm. like I had spent at this point of my life I've spent more of my life fighting this in him than I had without him, mm. which is sad. It probably becomes a little bit of a chemical dependency, right? Because, I mean, it's just like a drug addict. I mean, a, you, you, a trauma bond. Yeah, yeah. yeah like you, something's going on in your brain that when once that's not there, something's wrong in your in your head. I would think, right? Like you need that for some. You, you don't want it, but you need exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't think that being abused and being talked to terribly on uh, an everyday basis would. You'd want to stay with something, right, right. but you, you just don't like. I couldn't. I didn't understand the peace. It was the hardest thing for me to get through. Was understanding that no one was going to yell at me. I was not coming home to a psychopath every night anymore. I was not. It was such a hard adjustment, and it sounds so crazy. It does, but you know? it's an adjustment. So what happens? Women that are alone, 
I was lucky. I had family. I was lucky that I had two sons that I wanted more than anything to understand that that was not the life we were made to live. And because of that, that pushed me to be who I am and get me through it. There's a lot of women that I work with that don't have that. They don't have family because at the time that they're finally ready to leave, they've exhausted every family member, every friend that has said a hundred times, leave, 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 we'll help you. Do this, get away. And every time you say no, as a friend, which I understand now from the opposite side, it's it's draining. It's hard. Right. You're you're trying to help somebody that ideally wants the help but can't accept the help because that fear of the unknown, when you leave, your entire life changes. For our women that end up in shelters, that's a life-changing event. Mm. Now, yes, it is better than the situation of abuse that they were in, but... When you get up in the middle of the night with your children or without your children and you're being scurried to another state to go to a home where you don't know anyone and you're going through withdrawals, if you will, um, it's a reason to go back. Mm. People don't know how to accept that. Mm -hmm. And then you throw the financial part of it in. And now what do you do? A lot of women go back because of financial reasons. And that's why they control you in the first place. And that's why they control yeah. it in the first place. Because yeah. if no you can't resources. get out there, right? If yeah. you can't get out there and make money on your own, then how are you going to live? You, right. You're not going to. Not especially everyone, if you have children on top of it. Especially you have children. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So it's crippling. It is crippling. Yeah. It is very crippling, and it's hard to get out of without the correct resources and support. Right. It so really there, is. There has to be more organizations like yours just getting out there and helping people. And there's different forms of abuse. And a lot of people think, you know, laying hands on people, that's it. That's abuse. But there's mental abuse. There's narcissistic abuse. Mm. There is, you know, there's so many forms of abuse that people, especially younger folks, they're not aware of. But it starts very subtle, very subtle, like yours did, and then kind of escalated to something traumatic. Absolutely. And the emotional abuse is 10 times worse than the physical abuse. I show physically no signs of abuse yeah, that heals today. Right. But it takes you longer know? to heal f- right. mentally right. and but here, emotionally. Yeah. There are things that I think about, especially, you know, when we're going through court proceedings and reoffending and all of that jazz, that those are the things that still cause damage mm-hmm. because they were horrible things. They were things that you can't even imagine that you've been through in your life. Sometimes people ask me questions and then they get the answer and they are just in shock. Like, I don't know what to say. That's my life. You know, like, this is what's happened. This is how bad things can be. Mm. So going back to your, um, I guess, situation, um, how, at what point did you say enough's enough? Was there a a defining moment that that happened? Or was it a gradual thing that you just eventually said no more? Or how did you attempt to get out of that, uh, start to get out of that? So interestingly enough, I did not... I took advantage of a situation. A door opened and I went. I was not allowed to leave. I knew early on, had I left, my I put my family in jeopardy. So I wouldn't do that. And that's why he probably said, oh, we're going to go kill them. Because Absolutely. Now, now, now you he know. He knew once yeah. that was in my it's head, in that was head. it. Right. Like I was never going to think anything differently. Um, it just so happened 
that he wanted to move to Rhode Island. So he was a marijuana grower and a hydroponic. At the time, it wasn't legal in Massachusetts. It was legal in Rhode Island. And what year is this? This is 2013 going into 2014. So Rhode Island, it was legal. So he wanted to move to Rhode Island. I didn't. But I took advantage of that because I got all this documentation because at that point, you know, it was legal in Colorado. But what was happening is they were still doing raids and they were taking people's kids because it was still federally illegal. And this is Rhode Island? No, this was Colorado. So I brought all this to him and I was like, I can't go Uh, because if something happens, they're going to take my kids, our kids. So he said, you have, you're allowed to go one place. And that's your mother's house. And I had looked for an apartment with my mom. Um, and safety-wise, going there was our best bet. There was mm. more people there. There were more eyes everywhere. Had right. I been by myself, again, probably wouldn't be here. Um, so that's how I got out. And I took advantage of that. And it was tough because we went from living in a beautiful home to a tiny little space, the three of us. But... We did what we had to do, and we got where we needed to. As that time progressed, he met two other women, both he abused. Now, this this is while he was still with you? No. This is while I was, you were I was already gone. Okay. So from the time I left there in March... 2013, Mm -hmm. St. Patrick's Day. Mm -hmm. By January the next year, he had already hurt somebody else. Now, at this point, I had not come forward with anything. Actually, that's not true. The whole reason that I originally started the foundation, if you read our mission statement, was to educate police officers and anyone in the social services. Mm -hmm. The reason I did that was because the first time I had gone to the police was in 2013. He was already in Rhode Island. I was in Massachusetts. I went to the Westport Police Department. I did not get the help that I needed. Tracy was actually with me for that visit. She was yelling and screaming at the lieutenant because I was there. I had just been threatened all night long. I was up all night. I looked like hell. Mm. I was crying. Like I was just a complete emotional mess. All I could think about was I was not going to make it through this. I was going to die at some point. There's no way that. So I tried to get help completely unsuccessful. So originally that's how the foundation started. It later on, as it kept going, the women just kept coming to us and they needed help. So that's kind of how we transitioned out of it. Um, But in the meantime, from March until January, he had met another woman from Rhode Island. He had gone out with her a few times Um, He had abused her one night, one morning, actually. I got a call from her from his cell phone Mm. with a whole bunch of pictures of her abuse. She had gone out with him a few times. Um, She had seen also, you know, some red flags. Mm. They hadn't been together long. I I can't even tell you, months. And he nearly killed her. So she was lucky and she was able to get away. And she came forward with her charges, okay? So now he has charges in Rhode Island. Mm. At that point, he was still seeing our sons on the weekends, but it was really sporadic because they were having a hard time. He's a very violent man. So he wasn't just violent towards women. 
you could be an average person on the street, and if you pissed him off, oh, that was it. Yeah. There was an instance with my children that was towards the end. They were at the skate park in Rhode Island, Tiverton, Rhode Island, uh, riding their skateboards and their scooters, and he was there with his girlfriend, and he always drunk, drank and dry, drove. So he always had like a six-pack. He always had beers with him. So there was this nice man. So he's, he's at the skate park, not paying attention to the kids, just talking to his girlfriend at the time. And there's this nice older man, and he's painting a mural. And my children, when they tell this story, it breaks my heart of how much they remember. But they, he and his girlfriend started fighting. And the guy just, and he's very loud, and he took his beer bottle and threw it on the ground. And the man said, like, hey, there's kids around. He Mm. beat the hell out of that guy in that skate park in front of everybody. Oh, my goodness. Did not care. Nobody called the police. Nobody did anything. This is a really big, scary-looking dude to begin with. Like, when he's angry, like, he's a big guy, six foot three, nothing but muscle. Yeah. Was. Prison doesn't do good things. Kind of weird ways on you, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. The beauty is when I see like prison so- shots of him now, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How's that food for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't just women. He right. hates people in general. You know, like there wasn't much you had to do to really aggravate this guy to now, put did, him in a place that he was. Did you find that when he was he always was, I mean, it sounds like he was an alcoholic. Um, did it, was it worse when he drank or was he constantly drunk or how, how did that work as far as him drinking and then the, the violence did it escalate the violence? Do you think? I'm going to say it always escalates the violence yeah. because that, that's just the way it is. Right. Um, I can't say that it was always when he was drunk because it was just his demeanor. demeanor right. So I, I, I believe of course that it did escalate it and had mm. he not drank, it would be, it wouldn't have been as bad. However, um, I'm not going to blame the alcohol because there were many instances where alcohol was not involved. Was and, you know, I was still in positions I shouldn't have been in. So mm-hmm. did you ever try to get some help for him while you guys were together? When we were together, no. When we were separated, you know, he went to therapy and was trying to get help, which was all BS. Yeah. It was just a ploy to get the boys and I to come back. There was there was nothing of that sort happening whatsoever. Um, no, no, I he wasn't. He's not the kind of person you can. He doesn't want help himself. Right. He is very happy and always made it a point to say, when I look at people and I see the fear in their eyes, that makes me happy. It gives him a rush. He wasn't. There's something wrong with him Mechanical, chemically. Right. Do you know, like yeah. it wasn't anything that could be fixed without sedation, right. <laughs> or just putting him on some kind of island somewhere where he can't hurt other yeah. people. Right. Wow. So, so at this point, you're separated. He has this other woman. She pressed charges against him in Rhode Island, and now what's what's going on as far as on your end? So on our end, we're doing great. Both kids are in school. They're in sports for the first time. Another thing, my children were never. So my older son was 12 when we left. My younger son was six to six and a half. Never were allowed to play sports. Couldn't have, you know, outside the house activities because people would see. Um, There were instances where I went to the gym and I had marks. I'll never forget the kid that ran the boot camp, Nate. I mean, sweetest kid ever. And, you know, one day I gave him that. The typical story, I fell down the stairs as I'm like, my arms are so bruised. And he's looking at me just shaking his head, knowing he couldn't do anything. But at the same time is listening, 
you know, to the same story that every woman that gets abused, I fell down the stairs, I hit my head on the counter, whatever. Um, Fast forward, my children are in sports, everybody, everything is going great for us. We are thriving, we are happy. Um, He's dating a girl, another girl. Different one. So here, here's some education that I, I can't possibly stress enough. Social media dating apps, absolutely <laughs> <Don't> do <it. laughs> terrible. Yeah. Oh. The last two women. So I am at this point one of ten women that have women. been abused by wow. the same person. The last three, he met all on social media. He met all on dating websites. And you know damn well his profile didn't say no. I really don't like women. Yeah, yeah. I like to control and beat them, but <laughs> right. I don't like them. Mm. So, you know, he dragged all of these women in and that's, so I always say social media, like meet people, get to know people because right. what people are putting out there is obviously, you know, half fake, if right. not more. But fast forward, he met this other woman. Gosh, her name's Heather. Great woman. Um, my sons, again, were still going there on the weekend. He never hurt the kids. And once him and I were away from each other, there wasn't really a lot going on. There were threats here and there when he got aggravated. But at that point, I was away and happy to be away. So I just kind of like, whatever. It's just him ranting again. It's just him ranting again. Like, nothing's going to happen. Well, one weekend, this was Labor Day weekend, right before the kids went to school. And the, the boys had gone there. And I had noticed for about two months that when they would come home, on Sunday, it was a total decompress. I couldn't take them anywhere. I couldn't even take them to dinner. Like, couldn't do anything with them because they were clearly hiding something or something was wrong, but they weren't willing to talk about it. Well, this one Sunday, they came home, and I, they were just a total mess. And I said, what the heck is going on? And they finally told me that, you know, that weekend he had – He had gotten very upset. I had just taken our sons to New York. We had a beautiful weekend. Mm -hmm. I literally dropped them off to hell. So I dropped them off in Rhode Island. They go to his house. Him and his then-girlfriend get into this humongous fight Mm -hmm. in which he had given her an engagement ring. He actually called me while I was in New York to tell me he was getting engaged to try to ruin our family trip. It didn't, but so I knew it was happening. So literally like a day or two after this engagement, he is ripping diamond earrings out of her ears and trying to cut her finger off with the chicken shears. Oh my goodness. To get the ring. This is in front of my children who have already talk about trauma. Wow. Witnessed so much abuse for their mother. Never mind. Now here we are. So at one point he picked her up and he she's very little. Um, love you, Heather. Um, he picked her up and he threw her and my children thought she was paralyzed. So they were able to get her to the bed. In the meantime, the phones had been ripped out of the wall. Cell phones had been taken from everybody and he left. Well, obviously when they told me this story, I was like that, this is it. You will never, ever see this guy again. Like it is over. But I knew, I know how he is and how he would react. And I never wanted to rock the boat or cause trouble. So I didn't call him like the normal average person would call and go crazy. And how could you do this? Just make it worse. Just kept it quiet. Mm -hmm. The following weekend came and he asked for the kids. And I said, I'm sorry, you will never see them again. Like you will not have them. How'd that go over? 
Well, that was probably the last free nights that he's had in a long time because after he hung up with me, he actually called my son, the older boy who was 12, Hunter, and he left the most horrific message on his voicemail straight out saying that he was coming to murder us. And you could hear her in the background and they were on their way. And I'm so thankful that my son, because the things he said in that message to my son were horrific. Mm -hmm. He called him absolutely. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to my impact statement. I did. Okay. So at the end, you know what I'm referencing, you know, I mean, he said some really, really nasty things to him that should have never, ever been said to a child. Especially based on the fact that this was a kid like saving his own life and his family's life. Mm. So he let me listen to the message and I looked at him and I said, we, we got to go. Mm. And we did. And we went into hiding. And we never knew at first if he actually came by the house or not. We did find out later because I am very close with almost every single one of these victims like myself. Yeah. Except the last one. Um, so we all have... Like we all, we push together, we, we struggle together, we everything together. We go through all these damn court hearings together because they just keep happening because they let him out, he reoffends. They let him out, he reoffends. So that night, I didn't know what to do with myself. I just knew that my sons and I were safe for the night. I didn't know what I was going to do the next day. But I realized that if I didn't put a stop to it, I was going to die. Mm. My kids, I don't know what was going to happen to them. So the next day, I went to the police department in Fairhaven, and I sat there, and I sat there, and then I finally mustered the courage to get in because I was always told, A, again, typical stuff, red Mm. flag. There's never going to be any help for you. No one's ever going to listen to you. I will find you after this happens. Like the... All of these things kept going through my head. What am I doing? Should I walk in there? Should I not walk in there? Do I tell everything? Do I not tell everything? So I went in and I started with the audio from my son's phone. That right there. And it was so horrific that the police officer just looked up at me and he said, you know, what what do you want to get out of this? And I said, I just want to live. I I just, I want to have a life. I don't want to die. Like, I just want to live. And he was able to get an emergency restraining order that night. It was a weekend, so they had to call a judge at home, get an emergency restraining order. Then they had to find him. Then it was a matter of staying as low-key as possible because now you have two weeks for another restraining order hearing. But when I left that day in court, for the first time I went for the restraining order, um, The detective from Fairhaven came up to me and she said, when you're ready to talk to us more, you come and see me. Because I knew they they knew there was more to the story. There wasn't just this little tidbit. And so I decided that I was going to do it. And I was going to tell them the things that happened to me. And it took a long time, meaning in the police station. And... Then charges were filed. I I remember going for the second restraining order hearing, which is like 14 days later. Um, And at that point, they said to me, you know, there is going to be a point where we're going to, at the end of this, we're going to take you out of court. And I said, well, why? And they said, because we're going to put him in cuffs. He's not leaving today. We're putting him in cuffs and we're arresting him 
for all of a slew of domestic charges. So there we were, and there he, you know, they took me out of court, and very hard to face him, but they took me out of court, they put him in cuffs, and, and he didn't leave that day. And that led to more and more court. There was actually a point where I was at a table like this, and he was across from me, and they were trying to decide whether the audio was meant for us or if it was just an accidental butt dial. And I was so lucky because I didn't have an attorney. All I had was a DA's office, which was fantastic, but they weren't there that day. So there happened to be this woman that I had gone in to see, Kathleen, um, an attorney, and she knew what was going on in my story because there were a lot of other things that had happened that we talked about that... I needed to make sure there was no legal ramification against my my son or myself or anything. So, you know, we we did she happened to be in court that day. And I said, "This is what's happening." And, and she went in and she made sure they understood that that message was for us. And was that the beginning of your healing journey? No. I think I'm I mean, the beginning of my healing journey was probably the day that he was actually sentenced. The day of my healing journey was probably the most impactful day was the day I was in court and was able to speak. Wow. So you got your voice back. I got my voice back. I was able for the first time ever, whether it mattered or not to him, because obviously it didn't, to say what I needed to say about all of those years of abuse, not only for myself, but for the things that my sons had been through. So, um, so is it to, to talk about the uh, the foundation. Um, what your, so, your main purpose of this foundation was to educate um, police officers. Yeah, law enforcement. And, and yeah. Law enforcement. Yep. And then it, it, it progressed to something else. It progressed. Yeah, I mean, I started off uh, educating in some police departments, really working a lot with DCF, mm. um, because that was a whole other aspect. You know. You have abuse. Now they bring DCF. I'm not sure what you have here in this state, but yeah, DCF. You know, yeah, they bring them into your life, and now they're scrutinizing you, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Hold on a second, you don't understand." Like I couldn't leave; I would be dead if I left. Right. But that's not the way they look at it. They look at it through why were you there? How? Why did you let your kids see this? Why did da 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 da? Now you're being attacked from a whole different angle, and not only are you being attacked from that angle, but you're talking about your children. Like, who you Mm. never wanted to be involved with any of this to begin with. So I really wanted to educate them on what we go through and the dynamics of domestic violence and why we go back and why we couldn't leave and why our children see the things that they see. It's not because we wanted them to. I Mm. mean, ever. Like, I would, if I could take anything of all of it back, I would take all the abuse and allow my older son to never have seen a damn thing. That would be like my main thing. Mm. Um, I can't do that. But we wanted to educate them and understand like a woman might come to you as a police officer three times and they might go back three times, but there's underlying reasons why they are. Help them get past those underlying reasons. And then you'll be able to help them get out of the situation. But then as I started going public, so after court, 
I read my impact statement. They mm-hmm. said, all right, Brian decided he was going to plead guilty. He got lousy two and a half years in Massachusetts. Imagine. They said, um, you know, he didn't want he didn't want me on the stand. Mm-hmm. A jury would have never given him two and a half years. They would have given him more if I had had an opportunity to speak to a jury. Um, so he decided he was going to plead guilty. And they said, okay, well, the one thing you have is the opportunity to write an impact statement. I said, okay. Wrote an impact statement. It had such an impact on the court that mm. they came to me and said, here's your impact statement. We know you're going to do big things. Go do them. Wow. wow. So, and that was, it's always been helpful, you know, because in all of my public speaking, when you see me today, most people, I walk down the street, even with my children, they say all the time, we would never know that your children had been through such a horrific life. Mm. They're yeah. such great kids. They're so respectful. They're so kind. You don't know because we've worked on healing because it took us a long time to get where we are. But people never understood where I was, which now that you've heard the impact statement, you can see the difference between this meek woman who was scared to death to I'm not scared anymore. I'm ready to face whatever I have to face. Mm. And once I started putting that out there and once I put my impact statement out on social media, Mm -hmm. that was what turned everything around. Mm. Women felt like they could come to me. Empowered. empowered. You're empowered and you're empowering women. Yes. And they, people who knew me in the community now heard me at my worst and didn't understand or wanted to understand how I got to where I was and how they could help their friend, how they could help their sister, how they could help whomever was around them. Mm. Because no one expected it from me. Right. Again, came from this nice town with a nice family, didn't have any issues with anybody my entire life. So how could I have been in this position? Mm. Most people don't. It's not like a middle class person that is in a domestic. People think, oh, poverty. They think, oh, single, single parent home. They don't. It's not real. Like it Mm. happens to anybody and everybody. I mean, some very successful people, very successful women that I've met um, have had equally successful husbands who have done the same thing. Right. Right. And you would never know. And they're too embarrassed to come forward because they built this champion life for themselves. Um, But that's how everything shifted. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we became about helping the people. Mm. And they just, it's amazing. I don't, my phone number is not out there. Um, Everyone that contacts me is typically from a friend of a friend or someone that knows what I do. Um, and they send in my email or if I know them well enough or I trust because I also I'm very, very careful about whom I am in contact with mm. because my abuser, along with the manipulation, is a very smart man. I will never take that away from him. Right. So smart that in many circumstances, he's had people reach out to me, not abused women in different situations, trying to get information. Mm. When my when. He, this is when he had actually already gone to court for the restraining order. I received, so back in the day, there used to be, there still is, uh, a website called thumbtack.com. And if you were looking for a carpenter, you'd go on thumbtack.com. Well, I did makeup because I was in the makeup industry Mm. as an esthetician. And I did a, a lot of local models. So my stuff was all out there and all my work was out there. Well, he had the woman that he ended up marrying contact me through thumbtack to do her wedding makeup when in actuality he was trying to lure me to the house to end all of it 
So I was very careful. That's which is why my phone number is not out there. Mm. I was very careful about like whom I worked with. Then it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now, I mean, I think I told you guys the the furthest we've worked with someone was the United Kingdom through the power of social media. Mm. Someone reached out to me and said, hey, I saw this woman. She lives in Britain. Um, She needs help. And couple of phone calls later, we, we were getting her the help that she needed. So it's just, you know, a lot of people reach out to me through Facebook. A lot of people reach out to me straight through the foundation's website. And we do everything in our power to help. But that's how, that was our switch. Our mm. switch was there was a need in our community. And they felt like they needed to talk to me. And that I was someone that they could connect with. Mm. That they couldn't connect with friends, family, etc. So... Right. It all just evolved. And trust that you're going to help them because, like we said, I'm sure many of them have tried to go to help and they couldn't get the help. But now knowing what you went through and, you know, the process, um, they feel comfortable coming out. and Yeah. yeah. And resources. You right. know, anything that I can't do, I have a resource for. Mm. I know someone that can. I, I, right. So when you don't, so I didn't know any of this stuff. I was in the position of no one's going to believe you. No one's going to help you. I will find you. That was my mindset. That's the mindset of almost everybody coming out of this. So if you don't have anyone to help you, what happens? Failure happens. You're you're back with that person all over again because you tried and you didn't succeed. Why? Because you didn't know where to go. You didn't know who to talk to. You didn't have resources. So that's what we provide. Mm -hmm. So when you look back now... And you're looking forward, you're looking ahead. Did you ever taught yourself to be in this position? And did you feel that everything that happened kind of happened for you to be able to share your story and bring, it's like a mission for you to walk into your destiny and bring people who are, who went through what you, who went through what you, what you went through, but help them, give them a helping hand to bring them out. Um, I know it was a loaded question. That's what it became. (laughs) To be completely honest with you, the last day that I was in court with him when he was sentenced, I looked at the DA and I said, I have to make myself larger than life. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that everybody knows who we are Mm -hmm. because he's going to be released someday. And I... I have his children. We have lifetime restraining orders. Very, very difficult to get in the state of Massachusetts, in any state. Right. We have lifetime restraining orders. That's how bad our situation was. There was not a thought in my mind that said, in two and a half years, he's just going to forget about us. Mm. He's just going to say, yes, I have these two wonderful boys that I have people watching social media for all the time. And, oh, my gosh, they're growing into such great men. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave them alone. No, I knew that wasn't going to be the case. So instead, I knew that I had to do something to make sure every single person that we knew was watching over us. And it proved to work because there was an instance where I got a call at work from the police department saying, your son, your younger son's school, everybody's fine. They're both going to get home fine. But your younger son's school is in a form of lockdown. They weren't in lockdown, but there was no recess that day. 
And your older son is going to be watched as he goes home because he walked home. And I was like, what's going on? And they said, someone in the community spotted Brian between your home and your son's school. Scary. But that was someone in the community. Yeah. Why? Because I talked about it. Mm. Because people knew who we were. Because his face was out there. Because people were watching out for us. And that was why I originally got involved. Because I needed us to be a center of attention. So that people could pay attention and watch out for us. And then it just became a passion that I will never stop. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's amazing how many women we've helped. How many women I have seen grow from trying to get out to flourishing on their own, having jobs, supporting themselves, living on their own, taking care of their children. Um, It's been amazing, and we'll just continue to do it. Wow. Um, Did you, have you felt like there's been, I know, with with COVID and the lockdown, a lot, the numbers increased. They increased. Exponentially. Absolutely. Um, In the last couple of years, you notice a lot more. A lot more. Yeah. Yep. A lot more. You know, a, a lot of it had to do with COVID and people being together like that. Right. The other thing that I will give credit to is I was, I just missed the, I was on the cusp because when I came forward right after that is when there was the incident with the football player in the elevator and now domestic oh, yeah. violence was becoming oh, something. Right. And I remember it was very shortly afterwards there was like an Academy Award show and they had someone come on and they were talking domestic violence. And my neighbor, Linda, love her. She had lived next door to me when we lived in the very tight neighborhood. She heard a lot of things. She worried about me immensely, so much so that she would sit in her hallway and wait for all of it to stop and wait for knowing that I was okay. Well, She was watching the award show. I was not. That's not my thing. I I wasn't watching it. And she sent me a message that night and she said, you know, I can't stop thinking about it. I wish I had helped you more. So that time frame was right after I had gone to court. But now we were making a thing of domestic violence. Mm. Now wheels were starting to turn. Laws were starting to be formed. People were starting to pay more attention. So it's... COVID was a major issue. The positive is more people feel like they can come forward. More Mm. people feel like they're listened to because we've had, we have so much further to go, especially in our judicial system. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot even express that enough. Um, But we're in a different place than we were years ago. We're in a different place than we were when I first came forward. That's not because of me, little right. tiny piece maybe, right. but a lot to do with where society has brought us today. Right, it's getting it. It's under it's under the microscope now. So yes. it's in the spotlight, like we said before, because of the incidents in on the social media. You know, any type of media has really revealed a lot. Where yeah. it used to be just going on, going unknown. Right. It was going yeah. unknown, yeah. and we I actually had teamed up with uh, a great counselor, Sherry, mm-hmm. over COVID. And we did a couple of these little podcasts ourselves that we Mm. put on social media that were awareness. It was teaching women what they could do in these situations, um, how they could diffuse situations. Because we were in COVID. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. 
So a woman's outlet, and I say women, and I, I feel bad always saying women, right. but in now the six years that we've been up and functioning, I've had one male ever. One male. Yeah. It's all been women. So I hate saying we don't only work with women. We work with anyone that needs help. Right. But the majority, the 99% of the people that we help have all been women. More vulnerable. Um, yes. I think maybe more men is more like maybe like a, a mental. Oh, yeah. Abuse. They don't they don't want to talk about that. And they don't yeah. want to talk about it anyway. Want, right. Even if yeah. it was physical, they want to. Oh, they don't want to talk about it. Hide, yeah. The one man that we did work with, I mean, that poor guy had, he had been through you know, equivalent to some of the things that I had been through wow. and never, ever picked his hand up to her, right. which, you know, and that's commendable a, for sure, right. because it is a fight or flight. Let's right. face it. Right. I mean, whether it's a woman attacking another woman or a man attacking another man, like your natural instinct is to protect yourself. Yeah. Right. Well, you're in a situation like that and you can't protect yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I would in a situation like for him, he could do one thing. And the police get called, and now he's the person going to jail. That's what I was going to say. It it happens so turn the tables easy, very quickly, Mm -hmm. very very quickly. Um, And I've seen that. I've seen many times where a woman has been battered, and someone from outside calls the police, Mm -hmm. and she's being hauled away because she's frantic or Mm -hmm. not making any sense, or you know, just in the heat of the moment. Mm. Not thinking straight and speaking the way she needs to speak and saying, "Hey, this is what happens to me," and she's the one being arrested. Right. right. So, what's uh, any what's in the future for uh, for you and your foundation? Anything uh, upcoming, or is there anything? Uh, I know you said you were looking for for how it was it for housing. Yeah, eventually, yeah. when I am able to retire from my full time job, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my ultimate goal is is to open a shelter okay. because I I have seen over the years different things with shelters that I would like to see happen a little bit differently mm-hmm. um, from my standpoint and what I've learned and what other women need. Mm-hmm. It's not a textbook experience; it's a real life experience. Mm-hmm. And you know, even though there are a lot of people that get into the field because they have at some point themselves been abused. There's a system to housing that is, it's very different. It's very clerical. Mm-hmm. It, there's not a lot of emotion. Right. And I, ideally, at the end of the day, I, I will have my own shelter somewhere mm. where we can, I mean, I've transported to shelters more times than I can count. So, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean... We're always educating. We're in schools. We do summer camps. I love working with the youth because it starts with our youth. I mean. Yeah. Education. Education. I love small groups. I don't like big groups. I refuse big groups. Right. Because I like the interaction. I get more information from middle school and high schoolers if I have 10 people in a room. Especially because I'm engaging the entire time. I'm not there just to speak to them. Like my whole, I'm asking questions of them. I've literally had young kids come up to me and say, was your abuser this, this, this guy? I'm like, no, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Because they knew of someone or someone lived near them that that was happening. So they could relate, which is great because now they've opened themselves up to a conversation. So um, what would you say to someone listening right now who's going through abuse what would be your advice and what would you say to them you're not alone 
There's a ton of resources that you have no idea are out there. And there is a lot of help, like mm-hmm. emotionally, with counselings. And the police departments are there to help you. It doesn't always seem like it. But they really are there to help you. And domestic is probably their worst call. And of most police officers that I talk to, that's what is that's exactly what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're getting more training and they're understanding more of the dynamics of domestic violence. So for anyone out there who's feeling like they can't get out or there is no hope, there is. Mm-hmm. You just have to understand it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that happens overnight. And just like with anything else. Except when you're dealing with domestic violence and all the trauma that comes along with it, you kind of just want to be healed because you don't want to feel that way anymore. You don't want to go through that anymore. And that's not the way it happens. Mm -hmm. It's a process. And it's doable. It works. If, If you stick with it and you don't turn back, there is a way out. And you have the success rate to prove it, right? Absolutely. You know, so there <laughs> is do. there is substance there. We they just not go in there. You know, they expect to to get help, and they yeah. and they should be expecting to, you know, be free from this situation. Correct. And also understanding that it's it's not a fit. So a lot of the women that I work with, believe it or not, like myself, mm-hmm. have left three, four, five times. I have one woman that I've worked with for two years. She's finally completely free. But for two years, it was a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's okay. As long as at the end of the day, you get out and you're safe, that's the most important part. Now, is that frustrating to you? Because I know you've been through it and you understand. Um, But how frustrating is that when you're trying to help someone and they keep going back and back and forth? It's frustrating for me. However, it's more frustrating for me to see what the family around them goes through. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of a lot of the women that come to me don't come to me directly. They come to me because a family member brought them to me. They come to me because a friend of theirs brought them to me. So they've already gone through a whole bunch of stuff with this person. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we need you. Well, then it becomes... I'm helping this person and the friend or the family member is still extremely involved and they don't understand the process because they think it's just, we're going to get them out of there and we're going to put them here and everything is going to be fine. They don't understand that once you're gone, when the chaos has settled, you don't understand it. Like, I don't think I can emphasize that enough. My central nervous system was so messed up from 13 Mm. years of being like this, not knowing what to expect, that just that by itself took a long time for... I remember my doctor saying, like, your body's finally relaxed. Mm. Things are going to happen. Like, So I'd be like, why is this happening? Like, how did I gain this weight? And they'd be like, you're relaxed. Mm. Like, for the first time in your life, like, your, your body is at ease. Right. That's not always an easy thing for people to understand, outsiders to understand. They're like, well, why doesn't she want to get up for work today? Why? Because she's exhausted. Because now that she finally has peace, she's not tired. She's like her body doesn't even know how to react anymore. So Mm. the process, I think, is is the hardest part for outsiders to see. It's not always depression. It's, hey, 
This person is trying to figure out what to do with their life next because someone's been controlling them for all of this time. Right. And now they're left to make all these decisions on their own and they don't know left from right at this point. And you're throwing 10 times more stuff. You've got to do this. You've got to get the kids here. you got to do this. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to be on the same page. Everyone needs to understand. Right. And I mm-hmm. think as far as like, you know, how I, I like I've come from the, a man's standpoint where I don't get it. Like, why don't you just leave? Yeah. And I think that's what people think. Like, all right, he hit you. He beat you. whatnot. All right. Leave. But they don't understand the whole process, the whole thing that the woman's been through, the whole physical not even the physical but the mental the emotional yes. abuse right. for years yep you know that led up to that, that led up right. to so that. you might have like a person that's been hit one time and she tells you that she's been hit and you're like well get out but you have no idea that behind the emotional the mental right. and again i can't emphasize the financial abuse enough mm. because in most of these situations the woman is either not working or giving up her paycheck there's a reason behind that right. because right. they don't want you to financially be able to support yourself. They want you to be dependent upon them. Mm. So when you're faced again with all of these things that now you have to do on your own, it's a scary, it's very scary. Right. And I see women go one way and I see women go another way. And I see some of them that have gone the negative way, able to, after a few, six months, eight months, be able to pull themselves to the right way. It's difficult. I say all the time, if I didn't have children, I could have easily become a drug addict or alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Why? I didn't know how to. I, if I didn't have children, I wouldn't even have non, known where to start and how to function. Because I had s- for so long been this one person and never had an identity of my own. From the time I was 21 years old on, did not have an identity of my own. I don't know what I would have done. And that's, I emphasize a I work a lot extra over above and beyond with those women because I know that for me, my children saved my life. I knew that I needed to do this for my children, for myself. And that got me through. But my single ladies, sometimes they're sitting there and they, they're not sure what their purpose is at this point. So what happens? You know, they're doing this and getting involved in negative things and now pulling them back out of that is 10 times more difficult, but we never give up and we never say no. And I've had women that have been with us for years. And whenever they come back, some of them stating right up front that they're embarrassed. And the reason it took them so long to ask for my help again is because they're embarrassed. We never say no. So if someone um, is out there listening, um, how would, what would be we the hope best? there's people out there. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, how would they get in touch with you? How would they get help? Um, you can find us on Facebook, mm-hmm. the Help Save Foundation. By the way, Save is an acronym for Survivors Advocating for Violence Education. Interesting. Um, and you can also find us on the internet, which is the Help Save Foundation dot org. That's it. So Excellent. we have plenty of ways to email us on either one, um, mm-hmm. and and we respond. In fact. My phone does not shut off. Right. Well, I love what you're doing. Um, you're, it's a blessing to these uh, these women, and you are a true survivor. Yes. And um, and the people that need help, you're going to help them be survivors as well. So it's great. Keep up the great work. That's what we're working for. And I'm yeah. glad you found your voice because not a lot of women get to find your voice. Well, I hope to help a lot more women find their voice. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you will. So we thank you for joining us. And um, in closing... Um, I'm going to give you this uh, official What's Your Story t-shirt. 
Thank you. You're welcome. And also, uh, what we do is, um, since you told your story, we have a book um, with what your story on it. It has your picture on it, beautiful Very picture, cool. and your name on the binder. And there's a bookshelf behind you. It's a bookshelf of fame. And um, you ah. can put that on there and, uh, and signify that you told your story on the podcast. Awesome. All right. Here you yeah. go. Just take your headphones off so they don't fly off. <laughs> <laughs> here you go. Very good, thank you. Nice. Awesome, and and you came brought us a T-shirt as well. Survivor, Survivor T-shirts. <laughs> I did help save foundation. Very nice. good. Wear this with pride. Thank you very much. October is domestic violence awareness month, so yeah. perfect, perfect timing. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Is your organization doing any upcoming events to prepare for that? We were going to do an event, but unfortunately, um, a lot of things ride on releases. So we had a possible release, and we weren't sure what was going to happen. You know. All of our events take planning like any other event, right. like six months worth of planning. So we didn't want to start something and not know where we were going to be. So we found out in March that there was a possible release coming. So we wanted to kind of postpone things. And now okay. that we know that there isn't going to be, there will be in the future. But um, start starting the first week of November, every Saturday of November, we'll be at a different location in Massachusetts mm-hmm. in our surrounding area. Mm-hmm. And we do our annual fill a van event. In which we um, fill a van full of toys and we donate them through all of the shelters in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get pretty far into Rhode Island, which is nice. Oh, nice. Our first first big event was a a handbag event. Mm -hmm. And we actually, the community came forward and we had 350 handbags filled with necessities that all went... And that we did all of Massachusetts, all of Rhode Island, and all of Connecticut. So we did tri-state with that. Nice. Excellent. So yeah, we always we always have fundraisers going on like that. Anyone mm-hmm. can donate at any time through the website. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks for it's having been, me. It's been uh, superwoman. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. And uh, just keep up the great work. And this, you're going to be helping a lot of people. So. Yes, we will continue to God help bless a lot you. of people. All right. Thank you very much, and everyone. Thank you for joining us once again. And we'll see you next time on What's Your Story?